and welcome to the fourth official podcast. My name is David Kerr and this is a special podcast, it's an interview with a grade one referee, Des Roach. Hi David, how are you doing? Glad to be Hi. here. Very good Des, good to have you on. So I'll let you give yourself a bit of an intro, um, tell the listeners kind of a bit about your background, a bit about what you've done and then we'll get into it. Um, my background is very, very easy. Um, I was just a, a young boy who grew up in Renfrew with a first and foremost passion for football. Um, my dad took me to watch Renfrew Juniors every weekend when we seen there was a, a flag up, so it would be every second weekend. Uh, I grew up all my life, uh, went through uh, my high school, went through an athletics career, and football was always my, always my thing. So I then, it was... Not a natural progression to become a referee. I don't think anybody wakes up and says, I want to be that guy in the black that everybody hates. You want to be the guy that's number seven, number nine, number ten, um, which I did. But um, no, I'm sure we'll come on to touch things on that later on. But yeah. uh, I'm a football fan and that's the that's that's always been my passion in life. And I've had, out, even out with my refereeing care, and again, we'll probably touch on it, I've been a scout with SPL teams. I've been an assistant manager and a semi-pro team, and um, yeah, yeah, just football has been a, a major part of my life. So that that kind of cuts across my first question. I've always thought, if I get a chance to ask a referee a question, the only one I want to ask him is, why? Why be a ref? It always struck me as the kind of worst of all possible worlds, but just it gets you involved in the game at some level. So my introduction to refereeing um, was after I... Uh, retired from athletics through through serious injury. Um, I couldn't deal with the volume of training that I was doing at the time. I just done what everybody else done. I went back to play football with my friends and ended up playing with a local amateur team. Um, I was playing in playing in the game and it was the Paisley and Johnson District League at that time. Um, and a family friend who was a referee, he was actually refereeing the game I was playing in. And he was slagging me during the game, probably for my lack of ability, uh, but my but my fitness was keeping me going. And then I got a serious injury a couple of a couple of weeks later, where I actually snapped the tendons in my hand. And for me, thinking I'm going for a stitch at quarter past four on a Saturday afternoon, ended up being in hospital for three days and having to get my hand restructured and my thumb restructured. Right. And the, pers- the person next to me in bed was a rugby referee, actually. And he right. said, why, okay. why, why don't you think about another role in the game? And I had no interest, no interest whatsoever. But that culminated in me having six weeks off my work. And I was bored. And I spoke to that family friend and said, look, this refereeing course, can you give me any inclination of what it's about? And it was really just a pastime to get me through a boredom phase. And then when right. I passed the exam... I was invited to go and do a game. I'd done a game. I'd done a, a, a youth tournament. And I actually found out, actually, probably uh, probably weirdly, I actually found out I quite liked it. Um, right. And then I just I just followed the path that, that most young referees at that time, that time followed. Although saying at the time, I was, what was that? I was probably 26, 27 when I, when I took it up. Right. So how was that first, the first game, the first, Real sort of interaction, being in the middle. Was there a sense of nerves? Were you kind of nervous going into it, or was it quite straightforward? Because I actually got asked to run the line at one of my cousin's youth games once because the the lines been injured, and I think I lasted five minutes and I was subbed off. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's quite a feat. That's quite a feat. Uh, so, so because I had played amateur football, I'd. I had no interest in, in refereeing uh, youth football or kids football, so um, I'd played at a decent level amateur. I'd end up playing in the uh, Central Scottish, etc. So I, I thought, oh, I'll go and referee amateur football. But I can tell you categorically that as I was driving to the game, or sorry, I wasn't driving, I was being driven. My dad drove me to the game. Um, I was still reading the laws of the game book. As I was as I was approaching <laughs> as I was approaching the pitch, and I could, it was it was a the West of, was it, it was the West of Scotland League, sorry, the West of Scotland League, and it was Lions Den from Sheffield against Caledonian University um, out in the middle of, it was out towards, it was just beyond Shettles now that way, and I was, I was I was reading the laws of the game, and I think I'd said to my dad, I said, look, the game's finished in the 4.30 or whatever, 
be there at 4.15. With the engine running? <laughs> yeah, that was it, absolutely. The the changing rooms, I think, had one light bulb. It was The, the water was freezing. I literally wore a tracky going, warmed up, got off the bat. I, I don't even think I took a fee for the match. I think I actually just ran away. I was too scared to go and ask for the money. <laughs> uh, but it was great. It couldn't have been that bad that I didn't go back the next week. So it's interesting to see how you're kind of um, reading the laws of the game. That's something I wanted to ask you, because obviously uh, the Get Involved ref, and there's the old comics in the paper, you remember the You Are The Ref, the kind of comic strip thing, and it's got a wee scenario. And I always remember doing it and thinking, I know the rules of this, and then I'd get one out of the three wee scenarios right or whatever. So do you think that the, the, the laws of the game are well known enough? What I mean by that is, does the fan, the average man in the street, if you've done the courses and you're still swatting up, does the average man in the street have a, enough appreciation of the real sort of hinterland of the rules, do you think? Well, there's no reason that they shouldn't because they're not hidden. It's it's exactly. available every year. It's on the SFA website, it's on the UEFA website, it's on the FIFA website. Um, so if you're a, an avid fan, which, which we all are, if you want to know what the what the complexities of changes are, or if there's any uh, alterations to rules, the information's there. You can find it. So whether you're a referee or a journalist or a player themselves, that's one of the things that I don't really understand, why players themselves don't understand the laws that they have to abide to within their profession. Now, obviously, you've got your own profession. I've got my profession. If we work out with the, the parameters of, of, of our um, our profession we wouldn't be allowed to do it I think football is the only people in the world that can can play football earn multi millions of pounds and not know what the rules are um, but as you say if you go back to the fans yeah they can they, they can look if they want but football is such an emotive an emotive subject and it's such a popular sport all around the world no matter what team you're looking at, whether it be blue, green, red, white, black, orange, you see the decision the way you wanted to see it. And I think that's why everyone's got an opinion on it. But the fundamental is, if you want to know the rules, the information's there. You read a newspaper every day. You read uh, your work's emails every day. If you want to know if there's any changes for your entertainment at the weekend, then it's there. It's not It's not hidden. It's 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 open. It's, it's there. It's accessible to all. That's a fair point. Is there one misconception that fans maybe have, or is there one thing that fans routinely get wrong? Now, I know there's things that I believe are in the rules that aren't, and I'm sometimes put right. Is there one thing you think to yourself time and again, oh my God, I can't believe that fans or, or people are supposed to be into this, or players even, who, who, who get a particular rule or a particular element wrong? I was To give you an example, I was watching a, a video that did Jamie Neville, uh, Jamie Carrigan, Gary Neville, doing the, doing the refereeing linesman's training course. And Jamie Carragher believed the daylight rule was still in existence, you know, for offsides. So something like that, is there something that fans routinely get miscon- kind of misconceptions about or misconstruing the rules? I don't think there's anything that they, they continually misconstrue. I think what you just referenced there with regards to Neville and Carragher and it could be Grays and Key, these guys have a very, very influential um, role within what the public perceive to be the rules so if they're making an opinion then think of the millions of people that watch them, they'll jump on that um, I don't think there's I really don't think there's anything that's happened in the last couple of years that, that fans are surprised at and with um, VAR coming in and the, the much more in-depth reporting on it um, I don't think there's, there's one thing I think obviously just recently with Jackie Marcus handball I think that probably caught a few people by surprise, saying if it's an accidental handball, then and it leads on to an attacking opportunity for a goal. I think that one probably caught most people by surprise. I don't think they were they were aware of that. But also, in hindsight, I don't think there's actually been the same incident happened prior to that this season within Scottish football. Exactly, it's these things that exist at the kind of margins that, that I'm thinking about there, where the kind of decisions you don't see every day, and that's obviously what makes it kind of little scenarios you see where you're asked to, um, to give an opinion. But you touched on something there that's um, something that's always been a kind of a, a bugbear of mine, if you like, in 
this is where as a fan I will defend referees. You watch Sky's coverage and certainly bits and pieces of the sports scene and we see and hear more about decisions and goals on Sunday and Sky's particularly bad for this as it was the last time I watched it. It's decisions that are critiqued. There's nothing about tactics, nothing about individual players. They just retread refereeing decisions. How does that play out amongst referees and the refereeing community when you turn on for a bit of escapism, you see the game, see somebody else and all you're seeing is your peers getting scrutinised to the nth degree. Again, I think that comes back to what we spoke about earlier when you are saying how much the fans actually know, well, how much the managers and coaches actually know. It's very easy to blame a referee for a goal you conceded in the 92nd minute or a penalty that you conceded or a throw-in, any decision. A manager's job is to deflect from his players and his own, in a, in, not inadequacies, that's that's probably hard. His own maybe tactical um, judgment or tactical preparation. Um, who would they rather blame? A manager in a squad of 22 players or three guys, four guys at the side of the park wearing, wearing black? So I think that's a very easy cop-out when I would say that if you are in a position of judgment, which these people are, then they're going to overrule. And bear in mind, referees cannot speak out after a game. So they can't give their interpretation. So they're only hearing the interpretation of the professional pundit. They're not hearing the interpretation of the professionally qualified person to make that judgment. Yep, but, uh, I, exactly. And so to that end, then, in terms of referees being able to speak out, I know it's something that's been called for, particularly down south, uh, maybe less so up here, is to give the referees rights of sort of audience at the end of the game, if you like. What's your view on that, Des? Well, I think it, it was tried uh, a number of years ago under Donald Vicker um, on a Monday morning on the the SFA website where referees were allowed... Ah, so it was, aye, aye. They were allowed that sort of chance of um, to explain a decision. However, if you're going to ask a referee to explain a decision that was marginal, potentially wrong, or obviously wrong, then all you're going to do is you're going to line them up for for um, for shooting. Well, Ben, where you're just putting them in a shooting gallery. But if you're going to do that to the player, are the same scrutiny going to be put on managers for wrong decisions, players for field passes, for bad tackles, for goalkeepers making mistakes? Referees make less mistakes than players do in a 90-minute game of football. And I'm not here to slag players. I'm... I'm not here to slag referees. I'm here to try and give a balanced judgment over over both. And I can see both with my refereeing head on, with my coaching head on, with my teaching head on. You think, well, what is the the natural decision here? Now, if you are going to, going to make that judgment call, well, let's do it across the board. There's 22 players on that park. There's four officials. The four officials make less mistakes than the 22 players on the park. I know certainly at the levels I played that I was lucky if I did two things right, never mind made two mistakes. And certainly at that level, you can have, certainly among some players, you go, well, okay, I make mistakes and F makes mistakes. The refs I respected were the ones who would kind of call out your, your mistakes if you called theirs out and get that kind of bit of banter going. So I suppose, again, a couple of good points to, to jump off on there. In terms of kind of on pitch communication style, did you like to speak to the players and have that kind of back and forth rapport and what do you think works best? I think um, the biggest thing in, in football is relationships. Um, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be running by a player every two minutes and going, oh, David, I got that one wrong. And then two minutes later, oh, you're right, David. I made a mess of that one. All right, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try harder. That's not going to happen. I think a referee has to have a, a strong personality he has to obviously get the main things right most of the time. But you've got a relationship with the player as well, where if you see him make a mistake and you can go by and go, right, come on, let's get yourself back into this game here. Think about it. it, it it's in-game management. So you know that the next time something goes wrong, if he makes a makes a silly challenge, it's, it's maybe nothing, nothing major. You can run by and go, right, come on, that was a wee bit of a daft one. Next time he does one, you, you, you maybe pull them in and have a public word. Unless, again, if it's an obvious and clear caution, 
you can bring him in and you're selling a decision to the public and you're selling a decision to the player and his teammates around him and his management. And the next tackle goes in and you're cautioning him. Then everybody knows, come on, he's already spoke to you. But it's actually his third go at it. So I think as a, a referee is a manager, a yep. manager of a department, a manager of people. And how you deal with person A and how you deal with person B and person C, depending upon that situation, is how you differentiate how you react. But the, the ultimate decision and the ultimate has to be that everybody knows why that decision has been made. And whether you're in refereeing and in, in business, you know, everybody has to know they've been treated in the same way, but you can subtly uh, manage it the same way. Yep, just just as you mentioned that, I, was it the Rangers and Dortmund game and Matteo Lahoz, the La Liga referee, was there? And there's there's certainly one difference that we'll come on to speak about between Spanish and Scottish referees. But his body language and use of his communication with the crowd I thought was excellent. I thought his decision-making was excellent. But he really controlled the crowd. And there was one particular where, I think it was Ryan Kemp was tripped to get out of the box, and the place went, the place went to her up. But before they got out of the chair, he had the clear body language and hand gestures, I'm not giving this. And you could feel it was like a kid getting into trouble. They just kind of sat back down. So is that body language and use of maybe not theatrics, but that use of demonstrative body language, is that what separates the good from the great or the great from the good rather? And the higher up the chain, is that more prevalent? And is that something that referees can learn from at every sort of level? I think the, the, the first and foremost decision is the decision was called correct. Okay. While, while I'm still a bit dubious with it, I can understand it, but what there was no dubiety in was he was in control. Yeah. He blew the whistle. He sold the decision. Did you see any player run at him to try and to try and have a have a go at him? No, nope, he nullified the crowd and the players. This was the denied penalty and denied Absolutely. penalty claim. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yes. Nullified the whole place. I thought it was an amazing bit of sort of what we're talking about. It was game management, absolute game management. And the fact then he comes back in and what happens straight away? All twenty two players Maybe not all 22 years, but I would say the vast majority of the next 18 players went, well, do you know what? He's got it right. There was no there was no there was no um, arguing, there was no comeback to him. So no, his body language is very strong. I think the the body language stuff probably goes back to the the first one to really demonstrate it was Kalina. Yeah. Hugh Dallas, Hugh Dallas took it on after as well. Hugh was very, very strong and Kalina was strong and I think there was a, an incident that was uh, Holland and Czech Republic, probably around the Euro 2000 and 2018. I actually think Kalina, it, was a, it might have been Davids, he actually punched Davids in the summer, or he pushed him away, maybe not punched, pushed him away. And Davids just took it and walked away as if to say, no, you're in control. And if, if a player had done that, to all hell would potentially have erupted. Yep. But these guys sell the decision, their body language, their facial expressions, it's end of. No, this is what's happening. You're listening. And they go, okay, ref, that's it. Let's go on. Exactly. So, and obviously, these, there's, there's this group of referees who circulate around the, the later stage European games, and we all know their names, and they do. So what is it that are the characteristics because as we've established everybody knows or should know the rules really and Scottish refs get a lot of criticism and they do it for me in person and on social media a lot but we're not really here to do that tonight so if every referee knows the rules so what is it that separates a, a okay referee an average referee from a truly great referee I'm thinking like is, is perception is it something to do with his, his eye speed because I know it, like Liverpool for instance are beginning to get the players to train that what are the characteristics that we don't really appreciate as fans that great referees have that maybe ones lower down the pyramid don't? Um, first thing is has to be has to be knowledge of the games first. You've got to know we mentioned you've got to know the parameters of the thing you're working in. Um, so knowledge of the game, interpretation of the laws of the game. Yep. Have, having a feeling for the game is 
is is this a, a man-made foul? Is it a is it a, is it a dive or no? He's actually been a wee bit naughty here. Um, we've seen a couple of those incidents just just recently. Um, fitness plays a plays a huge part in it. Um, talking to the players, managing the players, managing the staff, managing the own refereeing team is a big thing as well. Because again, you've got four people there, and how you clarify your match instructions. So there's a lot more. Think people think that refereeing is just you turn up ninety minutes a Saturday, and you get. Yeah. X amount of pounds. It's not that at all. It, there's years to get there. There is so much time and effort and training that you're doing during the week. You're doing your your research. You're looking at your your match ahead. So for me, it's it's the professionalism as a as a whole. And you can you can maybe put five or six boxes around the word professionalism in the middle um, as a mind map. And if the referees can tick that. That's where that's where they step up. It's dead easy to turn up on a Saturday morning with dirty boots and go and referee a kids' game and pick up thirty pounds in front of two men and a dog. It's far far more difficult to be a UEFA referee and go and turn up at Barcelona versus AC Milan. And okay, you're getting more recompensed, but you've got a far more amount of work and you've got a far more amount of years put in there, and you've got a far lot more pressure on you. But that wee guy who's earning thirty pounds a weekend, he can still say well. I've done that in my game and I didn't get supported or I did. So it's it's a, it's levels, it's experience and it's ultimately it's ability. It's ability and that's why the cream rise to the top and whether that's refereeing, football playing, Olympic ice skaters, whatever you want, ability gets you to the top no matter what your profession. Yep, exactly. You mentioned in there the kind of the team dynamic and it's kind of, you touched on it a couple of times. This is something that always fascinates me as a as a fan. So obviously players have reputation, teams have reputations. At any given time in the sport, there are narratives and subplots and rivalries. And there's a whole... whole the part of the reason we love the game is because there's all these things going on. And it's not just... I don't just turn up to watch my team on a Saturday and then it's an, it exists in isolation. So there's all these things. So do referees approach with a game plan? How does the team dynamic in the referees changing room work? Do you manage different players and different rivalries differently? Is there something you look out for? How does all that work and diet and all? It's probably um, a, a bit of everything there. Um, so you, we would normally get our, our appointment uh, on a Monday morning. I think it's now a Tuesday morning. So I would get my appointment and I've got Team A versus Team B. So I would probably go and look at maybe the last four or five games that each team have played. And obviously there's lots of media things going around it. So you'd be foolish if you didn't look at what's been going on and is there any prevalent challenges, is there any player that's been making particular incidents or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I would be I would be aware of it. You'd be looking at set pieces, you'd be looking at corners, you'd be looking at free kicks, both defending and against, looking at how, how they set up. What do I need to be aware of? Has there been a lot of shirt pulling? Has there been people being... A propensity to be diving in, etc. So, I think that's just due diligence. That's just match preparation. Um, when you go to the game, so for me in a dressing room, if it's a, a top level game, the, the, the chat would probably happen in the hotel prior to the match, um, because when you go to the match, there's so much going on. Your 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 doors like John Lewis's. It's just revolving constantly, people coming in, coming out, you don't have time. Um, For low-level games, Championship, League 1, League 2, etc., yeah, you would do it it at the the ground or out on the pitch. Um, And I would be explaining when I'm looking for my assistant referees to be involved, when I'm looking for a fourth official to be involved, the information I would be asking for. So there's a lot of of preparation goes into it. It's just like a team. A team... If we're talking Rangers, for example, if Rangers are playing Aberdeen this week, then they'll know exactly a breakdown of where the penalty kick's been taken from and where it goes to, who hits their corners inside, who takes what, who takes where. So it's a it's a preparation um, that you know, or you're trying to anticipate what's going to be there. Um, I, I think it's naive to think that people can turn up blind, referees can turn up blind and just go, we'll take the game as it comes. Because then if something happens and you're caught off guard 
and then you see it back and go, oh, well, he done that last week. So why have I made a different decision? Uh, not a different decision, but you know somebody can, can be reliable to, to diving into a tackle or whatever. It's, I think um, forewarned, forearmed is probably a better, a better description. Not that you would look at it any differently and say, oh, he's done it last week, so he got a yellow, so I need to give a yellow, or he done it last week, he's getting a red, he's getting a red. You take it as it's time, but you need to know the characteristics of the players and the people who are involved in the game. Yep, exactly. I mean, the kind of thing you're kind of getting towards there, our players referee to a different standard, and without wishing to put words in your mouth or suggest that that's the case, and from my opinion, there are certain things you need to do and look at, and players with a reputation will often have earned it, and you need to apply different approaches. I'm sure in, in a teaching setting, you apply different approaches to handling certain kids, albeit you want the same outcome and they're granted the same opportunities. It's different um, approaches and so on. Yeah, well, that's, in, that, that's in-game management and teaching management. So I know if if I've got a, a young person who could be heightened and um, vulnerable in a certain situation, I'll have a wee bird before we even start. Uh, not that I'm doing, not that I'm doing a football match, but I would just say to, again, I'll just use, I'll use your own name. I'll say, Dave, come on, right? You know what we're doing today. So this is I want you to concentrate for this wee minute of time and deal with this, and then we'll move on. And by the way, do you know what? You're go, you're going to get an excellent. So you, you're you're trying to teach them and coach them through it. As a player, you wouldn't really do it, but if you've seen a a player going for a, a wee early challenge or something, again, you try and manage them. What I would do is I would go through the captain or go through another player and say, listen, go and tell Dave Steeny Sweet for the next one. Don't don't dive in. Just tell me, keep the head for the next 10 minutes. Whether that player accepts that advice or whether that pupil accepts that advice, you can't control that. But yeah. you're trying to you're trying to make it a I wouldn't say I can't say any easier game for yourself, but you're trying to make it a more controlled for yourself. People think referees love to go in and show a red card and a yellow card. Really, it's not at all. Referees are football fans. You want to see 22 players have a right good game, a good ding-dong, come off after the game, you all have a wee shake of hands, have a cup of tea, up the road, game done. But you manage, if you can manage that situation in between and stop a player being silly and being reckless... Because what you're also doing is you're stopping potentially another player being injured and you're stopping a player being sent off and and missing games. And at the end of the day, a referee's job is to keep the safety of the opponent, uh, sorry, the safety of every player on the pitch. So if you can avert it by a word to either him or his his teammate and go, by the way, the referee knows you're going to dive in here. So don't stay on your feet. Then... Yeah, that's again to me that's that's game management. Yep, exactly. So in the sense of game, kind of game management, one thing I've always wondered about if, if it goes on, if it's a conscious thing, or if it just subconscious is the concept of what you might call leveling up. We've all been at games and we've seen a, a booking go one way and then a slightly softer booking go the other way. And you see a penalty cancel it a penalty. We know the kind of thing I'm talking about. Is that something that's that you think goes on in the wider game? Is it something that's conscious or subconscious? And is it something that you think, if you're prepared to say, it should happen? Because my view is, possibly it should. If, if a referee wants to balance th- things out, that should be an element of discretion that's available within a certain sort of latitude, if you like. So, aye, levelling up. Um, I, I don't agree with levelling up because if you make one wrong decision, if you level up, you're making two wrong decisions. Yep. Um, and again, he wasn't everybody's favourite. Um, Hugh was, he was very, he was a very tough taskmaster. Sorry, taskmaster. Um, and he always said, and I, I, I took it forward with when I was always actively involved. He said, if you make the first wrong decision, you're, if you make a wrong decision, you're the most important decision to get correct is the next one. Now, I understand that fans, etc., may say, oh, well, ah, well he's, he's, he's gave his one there or he's gave one against us, but he's levelled up. I, I don't think that should be the case, but I understand the fans' point of view going, oh, he has done it. If it does happen, I would like to think it's subconscious. I would like to think it's that, mm, I'm not sure. 
But uh, for me, no. I think um, I'm probably too black and white. Probably if you if you get it right, you get it right. If you get it wrong, you get it wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. So I would rather I would rather get one wrong than get two wrong. The, the reason I asked that is there was an interview recently with Mark Clattenburg and he talked about a Champions League final where he, he, he looked at half-time and he saw he'd get the goal wrong, slightly the goal for Real Madrid was slightly offside and he admitted, but maybe this maybe for the interview, he admitted that in the second half he gave a penalty that he may otherwise not have given because then in his view it had been levelled up. So he's admitted to it, but maybe that's particular to him. I think, the, this, the, I think at, a different, at a different level from that, now... I listen. I, I'm no, I'm, I'm, I'm no white angel. Whatever. I think at, at lower levels, and if you've gave a free kick or a throw in that's not going to be consequential on the game, and you went, ah, I've got that one wrong. Or the easiest one to say is about a corner. It's a free kick, or whatever. And a striker's went up against a goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper's touched and it's went out. But you've thought the striker's got it, and you went, oh, I've got that corner wrong. The corner comes in and you go, oh, found the goalkeeper. And the first thing you're doing is you're in your back pedaling back to the halfway line. And folk are going, Days, that's 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 never I went, ah, okay, go kick, get it going, game on. Little things like that, again, I'm using that phrase game management, but not for major decisions. Nobody's caring who gives a corner kick, goal kick, throw in. That's inconsequential unless it leads to a goal. But yeah. You can you can manage it and you can manipulate it that way, but when it's coming down to a goal scoring opportunity or a penalty kick or a direct free kick outside the penalty area, you're you're talking dicey decisions there. And I think I don't think you you uphold your own your own respect there as well because I think fans eventually will see through that and players and managers more importantly in SFA or hierarchy will see through that. Yep, exactly. So in terms of the sort of higher levels transparency, I know there's, as I was kind of doing my diligence for the podcast and looking at some refereeing podcasts and refereeing things, there was one of the big debates, not VAR, we'll come to that, was referees being mic'd up during the game. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I don't think, well, they are mic'd up um, within, the, within the, the four members of the team. There was about, probably about, eight to ten years ago that the observers in the crowd were allowed to listen in. They weren't allowed to talk. Certainly ah, right, Scottish okay. people, so they yeah. were allowed to listen because I think a lot of the time there were certain issues within the game and the observer was allowed to listen into the the team communication. So whether the referee was talking to the fourth official or assistant and the communication vice versa back because that would have actually gave the referee a a better grade, so to speak, to say, well, actually, he diffused that situation or he managed it. Uh, I don't think they should be mic'd. I don't think observers should be hearing it. I really don't. I don't. I think they should be merited or downgraded just by their decisions and watching what they're doing and how they handle it. They've done it in England a number of years ago. I remember Arsenal with Tony Adams and George Graham. I think it was a Southampton game. Yeah. And George Graham came busting into the, the dressing room and started shouting and swearing and realised there was a camera in there and, and obviously turned away and um, the referee, his name escapes me, um, George Ellery, Ellery, David Ellery, sorry. Uh, Tony Adams is running by him and he's he's calling him all sorts of profanities. I think it would trip up the players and managers more than it does a referee. I don't... Th- the referees... Don't mean don't don't swear. They don't swear at people. They might just say oh, go away, bugger off, things like that. Yep. I think it would show up the players more than it does the referees, players and managers. Uh, and I think if that was mic'd up, um, I think the, the 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 league would automatically just turn and say no, we can't have that. But that's again that's the difference between rugby and football and the type of sport that it is. So that's that that takes me up my next question. I, I, you may or may not have seen during the week, it was the, obviously Six Nations last week, and there was a camera crew video and the fans, at, I think it was England or Wales and Ireland, and the, the rugby fans were asked to compare facets of the two sports, and one that came up was referees and the difference with which referees are treated in the two sports. To your mind, why, and I'm genuinely at a loss, 
for this. Why why is it different? Why do players in both sports largely sort of draw necessarily Scotland from similar backgrounds? But why is there such a difference between the respect the two sets of fans and players show officials? Well, I, 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 I can't speak for the nation, obviously. Um, for me, as a as a person, I, I love every sport. I, I love watching every sport. My wife is demented. I'll put on, <laughs> put on anything on telly to, to avoid watching soaps and avoid watching nonsense. Um, for me, I don't know. I, I just think that football is it's a national sport. I think pretty much everyone... I mean, I, I, again, I'll reference, my, I'll reference my wife. She's not into football, um, quite clearly, because we went to watch St Mern at the weekend, because our family's St Mern fans. Football is such a popular sport that everyone's got an opinion, and everybody's happy to debate it, share it, and argue their own point. And it's, it almost becomes nationally consumed. Um, I think that other sports, rugby, hockey, cricket, I think it's more a respect. They're respected as an individual. They're um, it's it's set alone and they're understood. Where football just you, you only need to open your national newspapers and your back five eight pages is all football and it's it's conjecture about what's happened and it's a journalist's opinion and you'll go to work and I'll meet a Rangers fan, a Celtic fan, a Motherwell fan, etc. and they're asking you questions. So everybody's got an opinion on football. So, and because they feel that they've got this, I don't know, is a, a righteous belief that they're allowed their opinion. I really don't know, David. I, I don't, I think it's, I don't think it's great for us, to be honest. It's, it's interesting to see that, Des, because it kind of, it's always been painted as a class thing. And certainly that's the sort of attack this video took. But listening to you speak about that there, when I leave, if I, in very rare occasions, I'm at a, a, another sport, a rugby match, a hockey match, whatever it may be, I finish the game and I leave whatever's happened at the stadium door behind me and I don't carry it in my life. If Rangers fail to win or if one of my other teams fails to win, it sort of haunts me through the week. So there is an intensity because so much of your, your daily life is bound up in it that you can't help maybe but be critical of people who influence that, whereas for the most part, rugby fans aren't as committed in the day-to-day basis as football fans it's not as big it's interesting that's that's the kind of interesting insight there that uh, I never really thought of how many times do you see how many times do you see Glasgow Warriors mentioned in page 9 on the inside of the daily record very or inside sorry or inside the page 3 of the daily record or um, Borough Muir for Edinburgh or the netball fans it's not it's consumed your first four four pages would be the old firm, you'll then come to Aberdeen Hearts Hibs, and then you'll then you'll drip down. You make a bit of boxing, and then you hit the racing pages. So it's yep. it, it's a national sport. You're nationally consumed in the media, and if people read something, and whether they agree with it or whether they don't agree with it, what's the first thing they do? They'll go into social media and they'll say, "Have you seen this?" Or they'll retweet something or repost something. So everyone's got an opinion on it. Um, that's I don't I don't know. I, I might be wrong. That's Maybe just my take on it. I think that's why it's why it's maybe that we we look at how football sometimes is looked at as a oh how how's that going on? No, I think that's uh, that's an excellent point. It's the best way I've heard expressed. To be honest, is just because of how sort of intake around how much we place our own happiness at the hands of footballers and by extension referees. But you mentioned their social media. As I say, I was doing a, looking at a few interviews with former refs, and all of them mentioned social media. In one context, in one, but mostly in one way, and all of them said it was the most negative development in their refereeing career. Is that a view you would share? I think as a as an active referee, I think social media could be dangerous for you. Yeah. Um, in fact, I I wouldn't, and I I know for fact that the SFA have put out um, information. Uh, this week regarding people's interaction with social media, whether it be television, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever you may have. Now, I have never really been a social media advocate. I've, I've had it. I've used it as a as a viewer rather than as a rather than as a, a, a contributor. Um, but obviously now that I'm involved with getting involved referee, 
I'm quite happy to. The, I'm not I'm not under any jurisdiction of what I can say and what I can't say, and I'm quite happy to share share my views and and be out there for for criticism. Or I, I won't I won't often get back, but I'll put out an opinion and I'm, I'm quite happy to engage. Um, but I think if you're a current SPFA or sorry SFA referee, I wouldn't be courting public favour because if you're courting public favour and you're courting public criticism. At the same time, you're leaving yourself open. Um, I don't think that's a a great a great media to be using, or sorry, any media to be using. If you're a current SFA referee, um, yeah. When I was doing it, and when Hugh Dallas and Kenny Clark and Stuart Dougal, etc. Now, these guys were. I'm not comparing myself to them in any way, shape, or form. These guys were were far above far above my tier. When did you hear any of them talk to newspapers, never mind anyone else? They never spoke to sports scene. They never spoke to grandstand. They never spoke to football focus. They'd done their stuff behind and then then went on. If you're doing that in public opinion, you're leaving yourself open. And you're also, you're also, I don't, I don't, I don't know, it doesn't sit easy with me. It doesn't sit easy with me. Yeah, the context that it was spoken about was that they were they, they dipped into it and we're getting a load of abuse and it was like leading into things like affecting maybe not decisions they were making but affecting their their, their focus and gains and stuff like that and it was certainly uh, not healthy. I agree. I think social media. I'm an avid user of it and I think it's unhealthy in a lot of ways. It's excellent in a lot of ways. Obviously, it's kind of brought this podcast into being and so on. But I certainly think for people in the position of responsibility and managing games and so on, where there is that element of public accountability uh, it's best avoided but that's that's another thing that I'd like to speak about and it's it's, it's always a contentious topic with refs that it's something that um, bubbles its ugly head from time to time and certainly something that's been experienced in Scotland is the issue of refs being influenced from outside the sport and what I'm thinking about there is Rangers 92-93 run where referees attempted sorry Bella Tappy influence refs now don't expect you to commit to say it's something that you've seen going on but is it something you think happens in the modern game at, at the top level do you think it happens at lower levels and are referees influenced by sort of underworld figures to give decisions in certain ways do you believe it's something that happens no I don't think it does and I can hopefully categorically say that I have never seen it I've never uh, heard of anyone being offered it. I've never certainly been offered it. I don't think Annan could offer me a five on a burger after a game and give him a one nil win. But Annan had a brilliant club, so I'm not. I've, I've used that going, but no, no, absolutely, absolutely not, absolutely not. Um, I know back in the day that um, that that people allegedly were tampered, but within Scottish football. I can honestly say I've refereed outside Cove Rangers. I've refereed every club in Scotland, and I've been to every ground in Scotland, and I've got nothing negative or untoward to say about any club, their committee, the way they look after you. Whether whether you have they have won or whether they have lost, they've always been very um, hospitable understanding you've got a good job. The people that run these clubs, these guys are doing this voluntarily. Most of the time, out with the SPL, maybe a few championship clubs are doing it. They're doing it for no recompense. So yep. there is no chance that they would blight their name or afford what they could do. And personally, if I was a referee and someone offered me um, an incentive to, to look after them, the game wouldn't happen. I'd be straight on the phone, I'd be reporting it and saying, do you realise that Club X has said to me, if you can get me a draw today and a cup tie, we're going to earn X amount in a replay against a big team. They'd be straight on the phone. No, no, I don't think. I think Scottish football, uh, for all its faults, I think it's it's honest, well, honest within the committees and and how they treat referees. Uh, I think there's other things within committees and other things within... Uh, league organisations which came to light recently that isn't really within the the fairness of the game and, and the true sportsmanship of the game. 
But um, I think you touched on there accountability um, for referees. I think accountability is huge in Scottish football um, for the referees. Um, if you think of the major referees that we have, then I think the accountabilities are very little to them. What is the, I wouldn't want to use the word punishment, but if someone gets two, three, four games wrong, what happens to a player? What happens to a player? A player gets dropped or gets left out for a couple of weeks. I think we're quite shallow in the pool at the top yep. end that they know they'll still get the big games. Yep. And they're quite happy to, to carry on, even after errors. And again, social media posts and things going well. I'm still getting it. If you think this old firm game that's coming up, we've got three old firm games coming up in quite quite short term. So how many referees do you think are would be within the the jurisdiction of getting that getting those games? I think you could narrow it down to four. Yep, definitely. Handful. Yeah. And have those refereed these made big errors in recent weeks? Almost certainly, yep. Right, so if that keeps happening and somebody in your business keeps making those mistakes, are you going to be entrusting them with this big deal or this big event? No, exactly. But these three, these three, four individuals are going to get straight back in there? No, exactly. Um, it is such a small pool and I suppose one of the reasons for that, as I was doing my research, is that the difference in payment for refs. Scotland was the lowest of the countries that was in the, the figures I looked at. Spanish refs, like our friend Matteo Lajos, we mentioned, gets almost €6,000 per game, if these figures are true. And the Scottish figures are way, way less than that. Is that a way you think we could remedy some professionalism, bringing that in in Scotland? Or a shared pool of refs with England, for instance? Wouldn't it be too difficult to engineer when you think... Is that something we should do to sort of go down the professional route? I think it'd be difficult to go down the professional route because a lot of these, a lot, a lot of these, a lot of our referees have all got very good professionals out with um, football, and yep. they earn obviously good salaries. They've got pensions. They've got. They're going to be working longer than the refereeing. Yep. So would you would you sacrifice for the short term for? Maybe potentially a little bit more. If it was me, I wouldn't. I wouldn't give up my. I wouldn't give up my full time job. Um, I would continue to do it. But what's to be? What's to be gained? Because the referees put in a lot of time with their training. They do their video analysis. They do all the their research. They do the the gym work. There's only so many hours in a day that you can actually dedicate to to, to physically been doing it. And obviously, look at the well, you look at the sky deal down in England, and you look at the sky deal up here. How can you justify paying somebody the same amount of money in England that you pay up here? I don't see it being a. I don't see it being a. I don't. I don't see it being a viable option. I don't. I don't see it being a viable option. No. So, onto then to what what is an aspect of sort of accountability, professionalism and all the rest of it is VAR, which obviously is something we've not touched on we've been talking for quite a while and we've not touched on the kind of hot topic um, Thoughts on VAR? Um, yes, I think it has to, I think it has to be brought in, there's no question that it has to be brought in we are one of the top 10 leagues in Europe, but we don't use it so we've seen Rangers get benefits from it obviously in Europe recently um, but then they come back to come back to Scotland, and there's other incidents. Um, anything that will help a referee and a referee team, not just the referee, the referee team, get the correct decision. Then the, the I think the words are obviously we've used is clear and obvious. If a referee or an assistant referee or a fourth official makes a clear and obvious error, and VAR can pick that up, then how can that be wrong? Exactly. You touched on Rangers there, and I mean, at points in Rangers' European run, it feels to me as if VAR has been run for my own personal benefit, because <laughs> of the, <laughs> the, way, the way it's kind of went for us. Um, certainly, the, the use of it seems to have got better, because in the early days in England, it was used for sort of 
millimetre level refereeing decisions and I don't think anybody really wants to spend time looking at a millimetre of a boot over a line. It seems to be running a lot better now, would you say? Yeah, well, I think, the as you said there, the, the millimetre line, well, maybe the guy's specs were squint or something like that when he was drawing that line. Um, so that might be where the millimetre goes. But that's that's not clear and obvious. Exactly. See, at the end of the day, football's a, football is a game of skill. So skill from football players it's skill from a referee to get it right. It's skill from an assistant referee to get it right. It's skill from a goalkeeper to get it right. It's a game of skill. But see the other side of that seesaw? It's a skill of errors. And all of those that I've just mentioned there, they can all make an error. And that's how you get a goal. And that's how you get excitement. So if a defender, if Harry Maguire slips and falls in his backside and a striker can make a, a advantageous strike and goal, well, it's an error from defender. If a referee makes an error, then somebody else can get away with a free kick, can get away with a sending off. It's a game of errors. So VAR should only... VAR's not there for your bootlaces offside. Your VAR's there for saying, do you know what? You're the only guy in the stadium that's not seen that, and that is clear and obvious that's wrong. It's a game of errors. The marginal decisions, the tight ones, they should be... There's a reference there. That should be skill, it's judgment, it's wrong. But if I still say to my linesman, see if I'm the only guy in this stadium that didn't see this, dig me out a hole, will you? Yeah. Don't 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 leave me to be leaving here looking the fool. But yeah, VAR has to come in it if it can if it can eradicate things that you get papers written about on Monday and Des Roach and Bobby Madden, Gully Collin, Don Robertson is getting slaughtered. Then wait a minute, see if we can actually go to the video. But I'll, I'll, I'll take that back to VAR. VAR will only work if the education and coaching is done correctly and how to use it. Yeah. And it has to be, it has to be symmetry from what UEFA, well, sorry, from what FIFA direct, from what UEFA direct, and the SFA implement. It's got to be the same way. Coaching. From my understanding, coaching within, not just refereeing, but, but VAR has been not the best. Things have been focused on very marginal decisions. Like, is the ball in the arc? Is the assistant referee holding his flag in the correct position? They're not the big calls. So VAR has to get the big calls right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the main thing. UEFA will not recognise our referees for appointments if we're not using the technology right. And the only reason we won't use the technology right is if the education from above is not passed on in the correct manner and then implemented in the correct manner. Yep, exactly. So you kind of touched there on the rules and interpretations and things being interpreted in different countries. So just to kind of round up, there's enough kept you for quite a while. I've got loads more I'd love to ask while we're here. But in terms of the kind of, you and I are old enough to remember um, backpass rule coming in. In yep. your time refereeing, I maybe need to put an explainer on Twitter for some of the younger ones about that, but uh, in, in our time watching the game and in your time refereeing, what do you think has been the best rule change that's come in? And are there any that you think have maybe not been quite so great? I don't know what's the what's the best rule change because it, it fluctuates and changes all the time. Um, for me, rule changes... Showing, showing how much added time you're going to play, but then you also, so the crowd have got a, an anticipation of that, so it's maybe a bit more theatre. Um, but again, it always goes on, the fourth officials integrated, it will be a minimum of, so you've still got that wee bit, of, wee bit there after it. I think the worst one for me is sometimes just taking the joy out of the game, and it's like the, the shirt over the head. Uh, for me... For me, for me, that's nonsensical. See, unless the player has a political or a religious or a, a blatant sponsorship logo underneath his top. Listen, see, if I'm, I was back 24 and I'm running about with a tan and a six-pack and I'm going <laughs> out on Saturday night, I'd, I'd have that top off over my head and I'd be swinging it and, and throwing it. So it's a joyous moment. The, the boys scored, the players scored, the, the girls scored. It's it, What do you play football for? You play to score goals and win games. 
And see if you're scoring in the 91st minute or whatever, and you've got a, a moment you can celebrate with your your friends and your teammates, and you take your top off, up to you. I wouldn't be doing it anymore. Certainly, I wouldn't be doing that. But I, that's just a that's just a bit of fun. A bit of, that's, the, the fans are celebrating. You can share a moment with them. I think that's probably a wee bit a wee bit over the top. I can I understand. I know Ravenelli done it, and he was showing a, a sportswear manufacturer logo, and other folk would then use it for religious or political reasons. Yes, absolutely. That's not the the time and place to do it. Uh, but let them celebrate. What, what what's the worst? What's the worst that can happen? You need to tell him to put put his top back on and get back to the halfway line. Exactly. If I was the way you described 24 to a six-pack, I'd have to be told to put the top on at the start of the game. Never <laughs> after, I, was, I was just coming out of running, so I was probably still all right about that time. I'd be, be booked to put it on. Uh-huh. Um, is there a rule change you would bring in? If you could change a rule or you could augment a rule or improve a rule, what, what would you improve about the game today? Again, I would have a look at this one. I, I quite like the idea of the old the ice hockey rule. See, rather than the penalty kick, you've got that wee bit where you can run up, take on the goalkeeper and, and have a shoot. Yep. I think that would be quite interesting as well. It's not just just that like, you've got 12 yards, hit the ball. I would give him the stop clock. You've got 20 seconds, run to the halfway line, take on a goalkeeper, one-on-one, see what you can do. I think that would be a wee bit, a wee bit different, a wee bit, a wee bit of fun. Uh, and you'd also probably test the skill of the player and the goalkeeper more rather than just being both static and, and right, OK, you're in a firing range, go for it. Yeah. Well, I know for a fact that some of our listeners have done that exact thing at like Hamden Park and they do the kind of half-time challenges. And I've seen it done well and I've seen it done abysmally and don't know who they are when they listen. But I did. I saw that. That was in the 90s in the MLS. That was yes. a penalty shootout. And I remember watching 36 or 37-year-old Richard Goff attempt it. And it was torturous, the speed with which he was able to advance. I think the clock nearly ran down. So you'd need to select your players carefully. But anything that kind of livens up and increases the drama, it would certainly give the weekly penalty to Rangers calls a whole new flavour up here. I will. I'm, I'm no comment on that. <laughs> so thanks very much, Des. That's been great. The last thing I thought of today to do would be, as a referee, if you could put anything, any facet of football in room 101 to get something out of the game, what would it be? So thinking things like diving, the imaginary card waving, players taking time, pundits criticising referees, what would it be? What would go in Desi football in room 101? I think it would have to be diving because it's not diving, it's cheating. You're cheating your opposition, you're cheating the fans, you're cheating the referee, you're cheating television only for your own gain and your own team's gain your, sorry your own team's gain um, I would think that most football people would say that listen referees can be criticised players can be criticised I've got no issue with that whatsoever I've been criticised and will be criticised going forward as well that's fine no problem but if you're blatantly going out to cheat deceive for it, it, it's stealing it's theft, and theft's a, theft's a crime, and cheating to get ill-gotten gains for your team, no, that has to be, that has to be the one that's wrong. I would just, if you, if you dive, you should be an automatic suspension. Um, I'm not saying how long, that's for people higher up than me, but no, I, 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 would, I would like to hope that other people would, would, would understand that as well. Um, it's, Diving, diving, Sim- simulation, call it the referee word, but it, it's not simulation, it's cheating. Well, exactly, I think that's an excellent place to leave it, Des, because that's something I'm sure fans, players, managers and referees could all agree on. It's the one thing probably that's common ground within everybody who loves the game. So thank you very much for your time, Des. Can you tell the listeners just once again where they can find you in the, the Get Involved Ref podcast? Yes, uh, so it's... Um, Get Involved Referee and at Get Involved Referee. Um, you can also get Steve Conroy on Twitter, um, myself at Roach Des. Um, please get involved. Uh, we've got Doogie Gunning as well. I think it's Doogie G Ref. 
get involved and say I'm happy to come back and I loved it. That was great. Always happy to talk football. As I said, we don't always need to agree. We can we can have a, a converse, and at the end of the day, we can have a cup of tea at the end of the end of the night. Exactly. As I say, it'd be great to be back on. Plenty more questions that we just maybe didn't have time for. Kind of, and it's great to have a referee on to get a different, certainly a different for me, a different perspective in the game. We're not all bad guys. <laughs> I know I was gonna I was gonna lead in with that and say, look, most most fans think referees are sort of produced in a factory somewhere and we've got a real person, a nice real person here to discuss the game with and he's also a referee. So there you go. Hopefully this has been as interesting for the listeners as it has been for me. And uh, with that, I'll say thank you again, guys. This is the fourth official podcast and I'll speak to you again soon. Cheers. <laughs>